The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. This is Writing Class Radio. I'm Andrea Askowitz, your teacher and host. Sometimes I'm also a reporter, sort of. Sometimes I leave the classroom and venture into the streets for interviews. And sometimes I'm a storyteller. I'm your full-service podcast producer. There's nothing I can do to write it all new. If you get inspired by true personal stories and want to learn a little bit about how to write your own stories, this podcast is for you. Today we're talking about words. The words we say to each other and ourselves shape our lives. One of my favorite writing tenets is make every word count. In today's episode, we learn that every word counts in life also. Here are some words from the students you'll hear in season two. Mama says, your one talent in life is making fun of your mama. He raped you. Stop washing yourself. You're not supposed to wash away the evidence. I kept washing. I wanted it to not be true. My father divorced my mother when I was seven years old. Now I was the man of the house. I did not get the big piece of chicken. She called me crazy and then slept in my bed. She left her dog with a crazy person. Instead, the one time I threw some glasses due to intense frustration and upset, I put them in triple shopping bags and then threw them hard against the fence. (laughs) These bags helped enormously with cleanup. I've been called bossy a few times in my life. It's my approach. I wish I didn't know how my mom's boobs look. When I turn up the volume in my car all the way up, I sound just like Adele. And if you close your eyes, I look just like Beyonce. This is the first episode of our second semester. We have some new students, but we don't do introductions at the beginning of each semester because my theory is that we'll get to know each other through the writing. Also, because my co-producer and student in the class, Allison Langer, hates intros. So like in class, we're going straight to the stories. Next is Missy Hernandez, a new student. She tells her story called Words. On an ordinary lazy Sunday morning last May, I saw a post on Elizabeth Gilbert's Facebook page where she announced she would be recording a podcast leading up to her next book release, Big Magic. She attached a link to send in an entry describing in a hundred words or less what you would like to speak to her about. This is what I wrote. My soul burns for the extraordinary life. In my extraordinary life, I am joyful. I am an educator, a writer, and a humanitarian. I am a master yogi, and every page of my passport has a stamp. My current life is ordinary. I work at a call center. I'm 10 classes away from my English degree with a minor in education. Yoga hurts, and the last time I used my passport was nine years ago. And my mood is basically a minefield. I need guidance building a bridge between my ordinary life and my extraordinary life. 
P.S. You rock my world. The words to my submission flowed out of me. I had already known what I wanted for myself. I just hadn't written it down. I've only ever been a dreamer. When I wrote my entry to the Big Magic podcast, I was putting together a plan of action to make my dreams my reality. There was a chance Elizabeth Gilbert's people would bring it to her attention, and there wasn't. I didn't really care about being on a podcast. I was really just hoping for some words with one of my heroes. About two weeks after my submission, I got the email saying they wanted me on the podcast. To say I was ecstatic was an understatement. Several celebratory dances were had. I couldn't wait to hear her voice, wisdom, and words just for me. The day after, I found out that I would be on the Big Magic podcast. I went with my mom to the doctor. It was an unusual day of our mother-daughter relationship because there was nothing to fight about, so our mood was light and fun. When we got called into the exam room, the doctor followed us in and introduced himself. After some small talk, he began shooting rapid-fire information. This is what I heard. CT scan. Tumor. Liver. Cancer. Insurance? Insurance. Insurance. The air left the room and my body just like that. My mother asked, ¿Qué dice? What is he saying? I heard her voice a thousand miles away. I wanted the earth to swallow me so I wouldn't have to be the one to do this. I took a deep breath and swallowed big. I turned myself to face my mom and look her in, in her eyes to translate every devastating word. My tone was even, controlled, and optimistic. As I spoke, her eyes emptied. When I was done... She took a deep breath, swallowed big, and said, okay. I don't remember much from my drive home, as I had to make it 16 miles from Miami to Miramar in rush hour traffic. The moment I turned the key into my apartment, hyperventilating turned into screams. That turned into sobs. Not like this is all I kept thinking. Please, God, not like this. My husband did his best to comfort me, but it was hard to hear anyone when I knew it was the end of the world. My mother is where I come from, my bloodline, the little lady with a giant warrior heart. I was made from her, but the treatment plan that could save her life was just words. A week after my mother's diagnosis, I had the first of two conversations for the Big Magic podcast with Elizabeth Gilbert. Speaking to Liz about my art and exchanging words with one of my heroes didn't just change my artistic life, it sustained me during an impossible season of uncertainty and waiting. It brought me back to life. I will find the artist inside me. In addition to her latest book, Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert is also the author of Eat, Pray, Love. Before we even launched Writing Class Radio, two friends told me there was a woman named Missy here in South Florida searching for a writing community. My friends had independently listened to magic lessons. When I listened to myself, I loved Missy immediately. She sounded smart and open and adorable. 
At the end of the show, Elizabeth gave Missy two assignments, to write a story and to find her tribe. That's when celebratory dances were had. I knew we could be Missy's tribe. We tweeted, looking for hashtag Missy from podcast hashtag magic lessons at Gilbert Liz. We are your community. Nothing. We contacted Elizabeth Gilbert's agent. We posted a few times on Elizabeth's Facebook page. We tweeted again, the thing that you are seeking is also seeking you. Seeking hashtag Missy from hashtag magic lessons. Still nothing. Then a woman named Missy sent a direct message on my personal Twitter account that said she was crazy about writing class radio and that it inspired her to write all weekend. I wrote back that she was my favorite person. A week later, a woman named Missy commented on our blog, and this random Missy liked a bunch of things on our Facebook page. Okay, call me dense because I didn't figure it out until Missy wrote me an email. Here's what she said. My name is Missy, and I think we've been looking for each other. I first heard about the writing class radio a couple of weeks ago when Elizabeth Gilbert retweeted something from the page. Then Friday, I found your personal Twitter page and DM'd you, and you said I was your favorite person. So, I mean, really, I don't even know what happened this weekend because I'm your favorite person. And today, I got a couple of emails from Elizabeth Gilbert's team letting me know that you and your team know about me and want to find me? I mean, what? Is this really my life? As you may recall, Lizzie Gilbert, you know, because we spoke twice for 20 minutes, so she's obviously my best friend forever, gave me homework to find my tribe and start my story. And as a diehard absolute lover of all things school and homework related, I set out on a fiery quest to get it done. I've been writing, but I haven't found my tribe yet. After I got this email, I invited Missy to our class. I asked her if she's found her tribe. So it was kind of like this writing thing was just my own little world. So when she asked me to find like a tribe, it's like it was to kind of like sink myself in the world for real and have it be just not just me writing, but getting feedback and hearing other stories and just being like in the community of writers, which is great. So yes, I found my tribe. Now she's been in our class a whole semester and we're never letting her go. Before we get to our next story by another new student, Misha Mero, here's a word from our sponsor. We just heard Missy tell her story about how words change lives. Our next story is about how words can trigger repressed emotion. Misha Merrill is another new student. His story is called Fighting Words. Going places with my dad makes me very self-conscious. He's my dad, so that's embarrassing to begin with. He has a heavy personality. He stalls in those interactions you just wish would end, like in the days he dropped me off at middle school. Public school, where kids were being let out of Ford Tauruses, beat-up Hondas, and Toyotas. But there he was in his convertible black Mercedes, Mozart sonatas blasting a cashmere sweater around his neck, kissing me goodbye. My father combs his hair, tight and firm, pushing it back, though it so clearly wants to stick up. He ties his jeans jacket around his waist. 
confusing different images of men he's seen in catalogs and movies. It's part his not caring and part caring so much that disturbs me. The way his too tight jeans drop below his waist, he has skin coming out, subtle rolls of fat, love handles, popping out. He thinks he looks casual and elegant and claims that he buys the triple digit pair of jeans because they feel nice. But the only reason anyone buys an expensive pair of jeans is because they're expensive. I think my dad looks best in his boxers and a white shirt walking towards the fridge for something to nibble on. We occasionally play tennis at Morningside Park. I grew up playing on their concrete courts, playing with my dad. I have a modern form, the newer topspin stroke. My dad, who learned to play Munich in the 60s, plays a classic grip, hitting hard, flat balls, cross-court slices, and drop shots. He likes hitting the one-handed backhand, an endangered but very classy swing. His strokes prioritize elegance. Do you look like a prince when you hit it? That's all he cares about. With my top spin, my dad's only recourse is to slice the ball back, setting up one shot after another for me to send screaming back his way. I take pleasure in hitting them back hard, snarling at him, knowing full well he is all the way on the other side of the court, too far to see the expression on my face. In my mind, I'm playing against a bad, bad man. What a seismic and triumphant journey it becomes to demolish him. I relish every moment of his demise, the collapse of his swing, the tired way he flops from side to side, the sweat-drenched shirt, that look in his eyes he desperately searches for a new way to play after 50 years solidifying an already outdated style. I want him to run, back and forth, side to side, to see his tightly pulled back hair flop forward into its more natural shape. I turn away, walk toward my baseline, and mutter, Fuck you, old bitch. Sometimes I fantasize tipping his coffee machine over the kitchen counter and hearing that 90-pound Italian cube of steel crash onto our kitchen floor, crashing the carefully selected tiles. There's a very real desire in me to trash our house, to burn his new silver convertible 911 Carrera, and to lift his lightweight titanium-framed Pinarello road bike and toss it into the Biscayne Bay. When I see the control in him, I'm reminded of how I've inherited it, and how all I want to do is blow up that strained effort to just be calm. When he asked me to play tennis on this one day two years ago, my impulse was to rip my shirt off and smash our baby grand piano into pieces with a large axe. Instead, I shrugged and said, okay. After playing a short time, we were accompanied by two men who played on the court adjacent to ours. Their loud conversation carried on and really bothered us. They drove a wedge into my game and made me furious. I started playing like shit and I got pissed. I lost all concentration and replaced it with repressed anger, buried deep. I wanted to tell them to shut up. I wanted to get in their faces and yell to shut up. I wanted to take my racket, flip it upside down, and shove the handle down their throats just to quiet them. Choke them to death with my racket. Down his fat gullet, blood spurting out of the tiny ears and the neck, made by small bones being pressed by this unfathomably severe shape, which simply doesn't belong there. I love that image of something not belonging in some place. Although we as humans know that a racket doesn't belong down a human being's throat, the way a bullet might not belong in a head. The body doesn't know this and it will adjust to allow the parts to fit. Bones will break. The racket will make its way to the sternum and then one final kick down and the thick butt of the handle will flush out the vital organs 
and cut through, breaking ribs and spine and tissue and severing arteries. My dad eventually asked that they keep their voices down. They didn't like his request, so they began talking to each other about my dad. A confrontation followed, escalating to a face-to-face. -face. My father trying his best to remain a calm and intelligent presence while our neighbors grew louder and meaner. They started sounding more like bullies, and my dad sounded more like the geek getting bullied. I stood paralyzed and watched the slow and careful tearing apart of my father's limbs. Then I tried to interject. Mentioned things like respect and rules, but they had their sights on my dad. They were younger, in their 30s. My dad, with his white hair, is clearly above 50. Yet there was this bizarre sort of thirst for his blood, despite his age, despite his decency. Eventually, they lost interest, grabbed their things, and moved to another court. My father and I spoke a little afterwards. I kept quiet as he explained to me that they were just stupid, and that there was nothing to be gained by confronting them any further. Sitting on the bench, that old splintering wood with green paint almost totally chipped away, I hunched over, feeling like my legs were hollow. My dad snapped quietly. You don't want to play anymore? He asked with his slight German intonation and thinly made lips. I didn't want to tell the truth, so I just tried to angle at it. Dad, this is horrible. I want to do something. I hate this. I wanted it to seem like it was about me and distract from the utter humiliation he had just endured. My crafted answer sent him into an advice-giving mode, which I hate, but I prefer to an honest conversation about what just happened. Misha, don't worry about them. What is there to do, really? I don't know, I played along. Just let them do their thing. It makes them feel big. They're just a couple of overweight guys, probably bullied in school. I said, they made fun of you and we're not doing anything. Why don't I do something? No, Misha, you don't want to put yourself in that kind of danger. I said, well, then why don't you do something? Well, I don't want to put myself in that danger. You want me to fight them? I just want you to be a man, I said. He was silent. After a while, he looked at me and said, you know what? I resent that. I heard him, but his voice was so frail. I looked up at him and realized what I'd just said. I looked down and thought that the right way out of this was a bumpy but short road beginning with an apology, but on the other side I heard a soft voice of my own whispering, fuck that shit. You were telling the truth. You want him to be a fucking man and stand up for himself. Fuck that. My dad shook his head. I don't like you talking like this. Fuck this, fuck that. Don't be like this. I said it again. Fuck that, dad. Wow, about that story. Sometimes the words in our head don't come out in the moment. But what Misha does so well is express in his story what was in his head. I'm here in the studio with Allison. We're talking about how every word has to serve the story. When we edit, we spend hours going through and cutting words, even with stories that have been edited at home and workshopped in class. We did this with Misha and Missy's stories. I know this is hard to take for some students, because students get attached to their words. Since Allison's a student in the class, 
I asked her. All right, listen, I know you get sensitive when your stories get cut, so I want you to tell these guys how it makes you feel. It sucks. What do you mean, how does it feel? I've worked on my story for days and weeks, and I come in and I know that every word really serves the story, and I've made sure to cut them all out, and then you come in and you're like, this doesn't matter, cut, 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 cut. This doesn't matter, cut, cut, cut. And I'm like, whoa, 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 that's, you know, it hurts because I really feel like those parts matter in my story. It's heartbreaking when your words get cut. And it's really hard to recognize which words to cut. But cutting is totally necessary. And everyone has to do it because everyone adds stuff to their stories that they don't need. Misha had two paragraphs about how it feels to slow down his tennis strokes. They were beautiful paragraphs detailing the physical mechanics of tennis. He was making a point that slowing down is hard, that his father is slowing down. But his story is not about his father aging. His story is about Misha's sense of himself as a man. So adios with the tennis strokes. Sometimes a story just needs a haircut. When I was 22 and I was biking across the country, I got a sticker for my bicycle that said dyke. Just the word dyke. And I kept dreaming about it. Dyke kept showing up in my mind. And like five days later, I kissed a woman for the first time. One of our listeners, Rebecca Ruiz, came to our community class and she wrote this next story. The story shows the power of a single word. How one word can change the direction of a person's life. Totally. Some of my earliest memories revolved around being creative. I loved to draw and write. I would invite my friends over and section my room off into creative stations and have them wear name tags. And each station, (laughs) we would create something different with my guidance. I was 10 years old. I remember writing two stories at that age that were published. I had won an award, and along with that award came four tickets to go to a UM football game. That was big for a little girl growing up in Hialeah. We didn't go to the game. My parents didn't know their way around anything outside of Hialeah. They were afraid of their own shadows, and the tickets went unused. The art teacher at my school had someone come see me from New World School of the Performing Arts. She looked at me sketch a drawing of a single rose, I saw on a bush outside of the entrance of Mayim Walters Elementary School. The person from New World spoke to my teacher, who in turn asked for a meeting with my parents. I overheard them say that they wanted me to go to New World. I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I had an idea, a place where I could draw and write all the time. But then I heard my parents in Spanish say no. She would have to wait at a bus stop by herself at 5.30 in the morning for a bus ride to downtown because she can draw and write? No. My father's sentences usually started with the word no. I felt like my creativity died at the end of elementary school at age 11. And at 34 years old, I think it's about time I revived it. Thank you, Rebecca, for sharing the story. When someone writes a first draft from a prompt, I ask the class, what drew you in? What do you want to know more about? 
What drew me in was the way this narrator described that scene where she directed her friends at her different creative stations and the way she described hearing her parents say no. I want to know more about how she revives her creativity. I hope she does. She's already back at it. Here's your assignment. Same as always. Set a timer for 10 minutes. Tell yourself go and keep writing until the timer goes off. Then read what you wrote into the voice memo of your phone and email it to us at info at writingclassradio.com. Some of your stories will end up right here on our show. Here's the prompt. A time words changed your life. There's nothing I can do To write it all new I want to thank Wilson Sayre, a reporter from our local NPR affiliate. Wilson, if you're out there, thank you for listening to our entire first season, and thanks for your feedback and encouraging words. Writing Class Radio is produced by Diego Saldana Rojas, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz, with editorial help from Miriam Herman and Misha Morell. Theme music by Adriel Borshansky. Additional music by Ari Herstand and Blue Jay. Writing Class Radio was recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is sponsored by Tambo Works. There's more Writing Class Radio on our website, writingclassradio.com. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. If you don't like the prompt I just gave you, pick one of the daily prompts from our website and time yourself. They're also on Twitter. Then record what you wrote and send it in. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? But I wasn't even there to understand the way that works. And there's nothing I can do. To write it all anew To fill the void with presents and letters Would make the distance all more true Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.